According to the Christian year, today is Transfiguration Sunday. Today is a day to remember the transfiguration of Jesus, which we just read out of the Gospel of Mark. Um, in, in the words of one theologian, the transfiguration, the transfiguration of Jesus provides program notes for understanding the whole narrative sweep of Scripture. He says the entire Bible is condensed within this single event. Everything, the, the law and the prophets, every single Old Testament story, every single Old Testament character, every theme, every motif, every unanswered question has brought the reader of Scripture to this point. And we find here that the glory of Christ, the glory of Jesus Christ is the beating heart of the Bible. And that is to say, the glory of Christ is the beating heart of the entire cosmos. It's the beating heart of all creation. It's the beating heart of human history. The glory of Christ is the whole point. And the glory of Christ is where everything is headed. We'll begin in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he, by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, we're told that all of this happened, quote, after six days. And remember, the Bible does not give us extraneous details. So why, why does the Gospel of Mark tell us bother to tell us the number of days. Well, back in the book of Exodus, chapter 24, we just read it. Moses was called by God to the top of a mountain, just like Jesus calls Peter, James, and John here in Mark chapter 9. And when Moses reached the mountaintop, a cloud overshadowed him. And Exodus 24 tells us that the cloud covered the mountain for six days days. And then, after that six-day period, the Lord spoke out of the cloud. That's not all. Because when Moses came back down the mountain, what was different? What was different about him? (laughs) Say it. His face was shining. He was radiant. He was transfigured. And this tells us something important about the transfiguration. It it has been said that Jesus radiates here because he is God. It has been said that the transfiguration reveals the divinity of Jesus. But that can't be true. That can't be the case. Because Moses was also transfigured on the mountaintop. Moses was radiant. And it wasn't because he was God. You see, Jesus is not God in disguise. 
And it's not as if the transfiguration is this moment where he, he takes off his human mask, so to speak. Jesus was and is always the full revelation of God in human flesh. His divinity is not veiled in flesh, as we sing at Christmas time. His divinity is revealed in flesh. His divinity is manifested in the flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. That's in the flesh. So actually, the the transfiguration is the revelation, not of the divinity of Jesus, but of the full humanity of Jesus. The transfiguration of Jesus reveals the deeper truth of what it means to be a human person. We were made to radiate. We were made to glow in the presence of God. Our our sin has dimmed that glory. But it's the deeper truth of our humanity nonetheless. We were made to glow. A few weeks ago, we, we covered the baptism of Jesus. And we we talked about how all of the imagery was calling us back to the stories of Moses and Elijah. I'm not going to rehash all that, but it's worth recognizing that here we are again. But Moses and Elijah are no longer operating in the background of this story. They are explicitly mentioned here in Mark 9, and they are interacting with Jesus in plain sight. But we're also given other details that refer us back to the baptism of Jesus. Think back to it. When when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father speaks audibly from heaven, you are my beloved Son. When Jesus is transfigured, right here, the Spirit descends as a cloud, and the Father speaks audibly from heaven, this is my beloved Son. It's the same basic formula And the same basic message, but the spirit who came humbly in the river comes in power on the mountain. And I I think Peter is picking up on the significance of this moment. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And to be clear, when Peter says, let's make three tents, he's not saying, let's go camping. The word is tabernacle. And so again, I I think he understands that this is a very significant moment, and he is stumbling through an attempt to make sense of it. If your friend were to invite you on a hike up a mountain into a cloud, there to glow in the presence of a couple dead guys, I think you would be, at minimum, confused. So Peter doesn't miss the significance of this moment. But he does make the mistake, it it seems to me, of equating Moses and Elijah with Jesus. He, He implicitly regards Moses and Elijah as worthy of the same honor as Jesus. Three tenths. And so the words of the Father spoken out of this cloud could be read as as kind of a rebuke to Peter. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
more than Moses, more than Elijah, listen to him. Moses was great. Elijah was great. The law and the prophets are still great. But Jesus has not come merely to obey and submit to the law and and the prophets. Jesus is the ultimate lawgiver. He is the prophet of all prophets. The law and the prophets bore witness about him, and more than that, he was their source. So I I think it's very appropriate that, that following the Father's words here, Moses and Elijah disappear from the scene. Verse 8, suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. The implication is, is not that the law and the prophets are done away with. Not an iota, not a dot. It's not that the law and the prophets are done away with. It's that the law and the prophets are in some way subsumed and absorbed into the person and work of Jesus. So more than anything else, more than anything else, we listen to him. But There's another mistake made by Peter here, and I think it's even more understandable. I, I, in fact, I think we make this same mistake all the time. Peter doesn't want the moment to end. Peter is having a literal mountaintop spiritual experience. And he wants to keep it going. We do this all the time. In fact, I I think our culture is addicted to the epic. Everything has to be amazing all the time. It's, It's not okay to have a decent meal. It's not okay to have an uninstagrammable vacation. It's not okay to have laminate countertops. It's not okay for our children to grow up to be average people. It's not enough for our worship to be God-honoring and mutually edifying. Worship is supposed to stir us deeply, week after week after week. And, and when it doesn't, we drive home saying, eh, It's all right. It's not enough for a Bible study to be faithful. If I'm going to sign up for it, it needs to be life-changing. It needs to be perspective-altering. It's not enough for Christian community to be hard work. It has to be deep and rich and intimate, and it has to be those things without me having to be vulnerable. Because vulnerability is not epic. You see, like Peter, we want to live on the mountain. We want to sustain this never-ending mountaintop experience. But the way of Jesus is not a never-ending mountaintop experience. It may include mountaintop experiences... But the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And paradoxically, if Peter wants to glow, he's going to have to go back down the mountain and learn to carry his own cross. According to Jesus, that is epic. And interestingly, that this, this really wasn't the case for Moses and Elijah. 
Moses and Elijah weren't called to suffer like Jesus suffered, like we are called to suffer. We're told that Moses died on a mountaintop and was buried by God himself. That's pretty cool. Elijah didn't even die. Elijah ascended into heaven on chariots of fire. That's a far cry from the way of the cross, right? But it helps to explain why the idea of a crucified Messiah would have been a non-starter for the average first century Jew. You're telling me Jesus is greater than Moses, and yet Jesus was tortured to death and buried by his followers? You're telling me Jesus is greater than Elijah, and yet Jesus was forsaken by the Father and descended to the dead. Not my Messiah. But that's precisely what the Gospel of Mark is saying. Even Jesus has to come down the mountain. Even Jesus has to carry his cross. He knows that he is the Son of God. He knows that he is God's beloved child. The Father has told him so twice now. But that does not preclude him from suffering. As it says in Romans chapter 8, we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. In other words, the, the path to glory is a downward path. The way up the mountain is down. If you want to glow, you got to make yourself low. Apologies. It's a cheesy rhyme, I know, but you won't forget it. If you want to glow, you got to make yourself low. The season of Lent begins on Wednesday. Lent is a downward path. But downward is not bad. Downward can be good. Think about roots. Roots go downward. If a tree never goes downward, it will never receive adequate nourishment. If a tree never goes downward, it will never be stable in a storm. If a tree never goes downward, it will never be fruitful. If a tree never goes downward, it will eventually die. So so why is Lent so dreary and drab? What's with all this talk of sin and repentance and death? Why do we mark our foreheads with ash? Well, because we want to go deep. We want to go deep. We want to be nourished and stable and fruitful. We want to live and we want to thrive. Lent is not just about dwelling upon our sin and mortality. Lent is also a time to reconsider the absolute otherworldly glory we have been called to. The fullness, the full glorious fullness of our humanity. Lent is what Christians do when what we want is to be glorious. Lent is what Christians do when what we want is to be transfigured. It's what we do when what we want is that 
mountaintop experience of intimacy with the Lord. You were made to glow. So, join us on Wednesday at 5 p.m., and together we will make ourselves low. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we long to be in your presence. We long to be overshadowed in the Spirit. We long to, uh, we long to hear your voice. So, Jesus, teach us to carry our crosses. Lead us down the mountain where the, where the real work happens. Holy Spirit, be with us during this coming Lenten season and, and transform us, transfigure us from one degree of glory to the next. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.